Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 44 of UAB Green and Told, original air date Monday, April 26th, 2021. Through this podcast, we are able to share stories from members of the UAB community. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and assistant director in the UAB Office of Alumni Affairs. You can listen to all of our episodes on Spotify and the Apple Podcast app. While you're there, I'd love for you to leave a written review so we can reach more alumni. Ten years ago, on April 27th, 2011, a tornado tore through the heart of Tuscaloosa. The devastation was intense. 53 lives were lost. 12% of the city was damaged or destroyed as the city totaled $1 billion in damage. Two-time UAB alum Walt Maddox is the mayor of Tuscaloosa. Today, he reflects on that fateful day, April 27th, 2011. And you could see southwest, northeast, and you could just see, you know, a mile wide, uh, just destruction through the heart of your city. And as he'll share, working through the devastation in the days following the twister, Maddox knew exactly what needed to be done to ensure his hometown would rise again. And for me as mayor, one of the best things I could do was get the hell out of the way um, and let my people do their job. While the city has rebuilt itself since the April 27th tornado, the mayor of Tuscaloosa has had to face another major challenge, a global pandemic. Let me tell you, natural disaster is much easier to plan for than a pandemic. April 27th, 2011 was far from an ordinary day. That morning, a mind-boggling 11 tornadoes tore through central Alabama alone. But that was just the beginning. That afternoon, an astonishing 18 more ravaged the area, 16 tearing paths longer than 10 miles, eight of those over 25 miles long. As Tuscaloosa Mayor Walt Maddox reflects, the day started early. I remember getting awakened uh, up that morning by emergency management, uh, just telling me there was a tornado in our area about 4.30 or 5 in the morning. That actually was a blessing because it essentially closed everything for the rest of the day. And all day, we were very aware of the weather reports. Um, the National Weather Service had actually issued a 45% chance that we would have a tornado. I've never seen anything like it. Haven't since then either. Um, that morning, we took Lewis Manderson, uh, who recently just passed himself. He he was um, he wanted to privately invest into the river market, which now exists today. And so, we took him on a tour, and then uh, he flew back to Atlanta in a storm. So. I was in our incident command center when the tornado hit Tuscaloosa, and uh, it's a day none of us will ever forget. But that, that feeling all day, and this is just not revisionist history, that feeling all day, you, you just you knew something bad was going It was just kind of an odd feeling, you know, living in Birmingham even at that time, and just watching the storms develop throughout that morning, that afternoon. What was going through your head in terms of, okay, we may have to be really on our toes because something major might happen. Well, we had had a tornado 12 days earlier. Um, ironically, the same shift of firefighters that were working April 27th were working that day. It was almost around the same time of day. Now that tornado, which was, we considered big at the time, damaged or destroyed about 200 homes. Um, that was actually, for me, I was going through, in my mind, our emergency management uh, protocols. And, and then applying to how we worked on April 15th. Um, but I really, you know, all day, my thought process was we will probably be asked to help somewhere. But you still had this just suspicious feeling something was going to go sideways. And I remember walking downstairs and seeing that this tornado cell was developing out of, uh, I want to say, um, Meridian, Mississippi. 
And then, it, you know, if you drew the lines, you could see where it was coming and you could just tell that was going to be the storm that was going to impact us. And I'll never forget seeing it on some of our uh, CCTV cameras as it was coming through us, coming to us. Um, but uh, even that, you, you can't describe what it was like. I mean, you tell people you had a tornado and they think tornado. This was like the hand of God smashing down on your city. At what point did you go, oh my gosh, this is this is catastrophic. This is going to be a major occurrence. When I got out into the field and was able to see it about 30 minutes after the tornado hit, you know, you knew from the video camera footage it was bad, but you couldn't get a sense of it. And when I was able to, um, we, you know, leaving City Hall and University Boulevard, we took it all the way into the, what's called the Alberta area of the city. And over a viaduct, um, you, 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 you hit a little ridge and you could see southwest to northeast and you could just see, you know, a mile wide, um, just destruction through the heart of your city. And it was destruction like I'd never seen before. Again, it, it wasn't this, you know, trees down. I mean, it, it was just things were flattened, gone, um, just disappeared from the earth itself. And, and I knew then this is this was bad. This was really, really bad. At that point, could you imagine that, you know, dozens of lives had been lost and 12% of the city had been affected either by damage or it was totally destroyed. Did that even enter the mind at that point or was that something that it took a little while to grasp? You know, I don't know if I did process those thoughts, but I immediately knew we were going to need National Guard help. Um, and then I began to process. We go through incident command training, emergency management training, I knew what my roles and responsibilities were in those first uh, three or four hours. Because frankly, at this point, your first responders are out there and they're the ones who are the most important. My job was to begin arranging National Guard help, contact with certainly our elected officials, um, begin getting an idea of resources we were gonna need. Because I knew this would be a long-term event. Um, and, and what was ironic is I get into the car and there are no communications. Um, because we lost, I mean, we, not only did we get hit, we lost our primary communication towers. We lost 17% of our police assets. We lost the fire station. We lost 85% of our heavy equipment. We lost our EMA, our emergency management agency. Red Cross was gone, Salvation Army. I mean, we, I mean, you couldn't have drawn a line through more response assets that we lost. But I text the governor and he texts me right back. And so to me, when I got in that car, that, okay, that's one thing down. Now we get back, you know, and then we start working on what the hospital needs. We start working with UA and Northport, getting their assets over here to help us. So by nightfall, you were exhausted and you began to understand the depth of the crisis, but you were so busy in every moment. Really, frankly, until I drove home about three in the morning to get a change of clothes, I had no, it just really hadn't sunk in the, the devastating human tragedy part of the disaster. You mentioned going home at 3 a.m. You probably didn't sleep a whole lot that night as well as the subsequent days. What was it like, you know, the, the few days after and even a week after when everybody kind of rallied around Tuscaloosa and other communities that were affected by the different tornadoes that day, but in particular for you guys? If I could go back, there's many things I would change. Uh, one of them is we were all, we didn't get, we didn't sleep. We were all exhausted and we worked to exhaustion. And after about two weeks, we were uh, lead footed, so to speak. And then we had to position from response to recovery. 
and it was really the same people had to do both. So we exhausted ourselves. If I could go back in time, I would change that. You're working on a lot of adrenaline, uh, but you know, after three or four days, you just your your body begins to wane. Um, you know, I remember going home. I just went home, got a change of clothes, and came back to the office. But for all of us, it was tough. And for me, I remember. It seems like it was not the first weekend, but the second weekend where I was going to um, you know, sleep in on Sunday. And I remember waking up, and it was almost like the worst case of jet lag. You know, where you, you just felt like you couldn't move, but you knew you had to get up and go to work. It was tough. I mean, it that that type of exhaustion wears on you. And again, if I could go back in time, I would pace myself, and I would pace our, especially our senior leadership team members, because we were. We were making really sure that our people in the field were 12 hours on, 12 hours off, got one day. We, we were very cognizant of that. But yet, for as a leadership team, we were exhausted. And if I could go back in time, I, I would change that dynamic. In fact, with COVID, um, you know, during the early days of COVID, we were taking on the same kind of hours. And all of a sudden, I said, no, we're, you know, we're going to take Sunday off. No one, unless it's an absolute emergency, stay home, rest, get a good night's sleep, you know. Those are lessons that we even applied to COVID. You mentioned having training, just getting ready for emergencies and, and being able to cope with that kind of those kind of scenarios. Can you ever be ready for something, the magnitude of what happened April 27th? No, um, but it reminds me of what the philosopher Mike Tyson said. Everybody has a plan until they get hit in the face. Uh, <laughs> it's good to have a plan, though, because what it meant was the plan – you know, again, I talk about just, you know, the hand of Providence. In 2009, uh, my team and I, I was about 60 people. We went to a place called Emmonsburg, Maryland. It's about 10 miles south of Gettysburg. And we had the opportunity to go through a week's worth of incident management training. And in the mornings, you went to class. It was literally like a master level class. In the afternoon, you did scenarios. So having that training, having all of our emergency protocols follow that training, yeah, we, there were some things we didn't, you know, have preparations for, but because we had a plan, everything else fell into place. So for every problem, yeah, you may not have the answer immediately, but you knew how to get an answer. And to me, that was one of the great things about the training. It's, it's no different than, you know, use football. You work all week on a game plan. And then at halftime, the most celebrated coaches are the ones who can come up with adjustments. So really what that means is you – it's not that you throw away a week's worth of work in 20 minutes. You just have to go in and adjust the foundation of your plan. In the 10 years since April 27th, 2011, how far back has Tuscaloosa come? You know what? I, I think we've, I, I think we're there, but I say that with the caveat. If, if I lost someone I love, um, if I lost my business, if I lost my home, even if I rebuilt it or rebuilt my business, I don't know if I can I can make that statement for an individual. Um, but I think as a community, we've come back as far as we can. I mean, we had a billion dollars worth of damage. Um, we we roughly had about $130 million worth of revenues to deal with it from either FEMA or um, Stafford Act or, or our own insurance proceeds. But we've had over a billion dollars worth of private sector investment since that time. And so I, I think from a, you know, from a brick and mortar standpoint, yes, we've recovered. From an individual standpoint, I don't know if you ever do. What was the biggest challenge that came out of 2011? Um, 
the, the challenges were rebuilding itself because quickly the kumbaya, kumbaya moment evaporates. And in our case, we had about $900 million worth of bad infrastructure. Um, the median income was less than 25,000. 72% of the homes that were destroyed were rental. Um, you had a huge floodway that bisected the recovery zone, which meant that um, if they were, since we're part of the national flood insurance, people couldn't rebuild. Um, and then on top of that, quite frankly, is that, you know, the politics of Alabama, you know, during the election of 2012, Alabama is not a swing state. So um, other swing states tend to do better in the appropriations. And that was another lesson that I learned as part of this process is that, um, when somebody says, hey, we're here from the federal government and we're going to be there for you, um, I wouldn't be as naive this time around if it happened. If there's one piece of advice that you can give other mayors or city councilmen and municipalities across the, the country or even the world, what is it when it comes to undergoing a catastrophe like that, a, a, an event of Mother Nature, that you can kind of give them? Be prepared, have a real plan in place, not just a plan on paper, and then actually test that plan every chance you get. One of the things we did coming back from Emmitsburg in 2009, and we still do today, every time we have an Alabama football game or every time we have a weather event, we always go into what's called incident command. Um, that way we practice communicating in an emergency style setting because your lines of communication are totally different. And for me as mayor, one of the best things I could do was get the hell out of the way um, and let my people do their job. That I know that sounds kind of, uh, you know, I say it in a kidding tone, but really that was the hardest part under our emergency model was to let our people go and let me sit back and do more of the, you know, more of the cheerleading community side of it. Because one of the things I realized, and, and Heather um uh, Gray now, who worked in our office at the time, she was very intentional about getting me out in the community because I wanted to be here part, trying to make the cake, so to speak. But I found I was my best when I was out in the community, hugging people, letting them know what we're doing, that we hear you, we're going to help you. And, um, you know, that's what a mayor needs to do because people want to know that their, their local government's responding. I remember we studied New Orleans a lot in 2009. And for better or for worse, they were the case study in how you don't communicate with your constituents. We wanted to reassure people that local government was working, we were responding, and we were going to get through this with a good measure of hope. Do you have other municipalities reach out to you so they can better prepare themselves? Oh, yes. And, and I've been blessed and honored to work with the Kennedy School of Government to um, you know, help as well. And, and I think COVID is another perfect example of how local government in this state really stepped up. I mean, look at what Mayor Whitman did in Birmingham, Mayor Reed in, in, um, in Montgomery, and Mayor Stimson in Mobile. And we certainly felt like we were leaders as well. And to Governor Ivey's credit, she let mayors lead. And um, I give the governor a great amount of credit for doing that. Governor Bentley did the same for us during Tornado in 2011, and Governor Ivey did the same thing for us during the recent COVID crisis. Is it easier to prepare for a natural disaster or a pandemic? Can you even plan appropriately for either one? Let me tell you, natural disaster is much easier to plan for than a pandemic. And, and for better or for worse, this pandemic became so politicized that every decision we made became an R, it felt like it had an RD attached to it, whether 
that wasn't true from our standpoint, but that's how the public perceived it. I don't remember that. Even even when we had to make some very difficult decisions you know, following the April 27 tornado, I never felt like it became politicized. It, the people may disagree, but it wasn't based off of ideology. Um, in this particular case, every decision that we made was had this taint of, well, you know, they're overreacting. That means they're being too conservative or we're um, over, under, I'm sorry, we, we are overreacting, which means we're being too liberal. We were, if we were underreacting, we were being conservative. And so every decision was viewed through that lens. That has made this a, a lot more difficult challenge. Outside of that, what's been the biggest obstacle with the coronavirus? I think people's fatigue, people are tired. And, you know, every, it, this has been for us, I mean, if you go back to March of last year, I mean, th- we were going to hit that hospitalization maxim, maximum standpoint sometime in April or May, then it was going to go down and by summer it would be gone. Well, that didn't happen. Then we get to fall. We barely hang on to keeping the university here. I mean, we had to take some draconian action to keep the university open, keep football going, by the way. Um, and then, you know, we have it flow and then we get to December and January and our hospitalizations are the highest they've been. So we have to take more action. I think people are just tired and the vaccine rollout could not have come soon enough. Um, that's another story too, but that's been the hardest part is just people are tired. They're ready to get their lives back. And that's been the hard part of this. As a young councilman running for the mayor position many moons ago, there's no way you could have expected to possibly be a part of two of the perhaps biggest challenges the city would ever face with April 27th and then coronavirus, could you? No, and I've thought about that um, you know, a lot, especially in this last election cycle, but I, I still see it to be an honor to be part of something like that. Um, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's, um, those, those are challenges. and. It's not always popular, but I, I do believe that whether it's been the 27th of April tornado or COVID, that history ultimately will, will prove our decisions wise. Not always right, by the way, but wise. That's Tuscaloosa Mayor Walt Maddox. Maddox owns two degrees from the UAB College of Arts and Sciences, a BS in 1995 and an MPA in 2004. A former football player for the Blazers, Mayor Maddox has his own idea of what it means to be a Blazer. You know, for me, it's just a sense of pride. I love the fact that I graduated from UAB. I love the fact that I was part of UAB's first football team and part of the UAB athletic story. And there's, there's no three better letters in our alphabet than UAB. That's what it means. Be sure to listen into previous episodes of UAB Green and Told. You can find all of them at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Have a story to share? Email me at greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for at UAB Alumni. Thanks for listening. And until next time, go Blazers.